Welcome again, everybody. Uh, thanks again, Hal. Thanks again, Sue. Thanks again, worship team. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we're so happy that you're here. It's a party. It's a celebration that you've stepped into. And uh, what we're doing is we're celebrating uh, the risen king, the king of all nations who died but has also risen from the dead. That's what the celebration is, is all about. So uh, why don't we start our story this morning? You can find it printed here on your bulletin. And uh, the story is that Easter Sunday morning where uh, people went to that tomb where Jesus had been buried. They went there curious, they went there looking, they had their thinking caps on, they were wanting to know, uh, was Jesus a liar? Was he telling the truth? What happened to Jesus' body? Uh, so we're going to read this story and then we're going to make some, uh, some comments about the resurrection. Uh, so let's... Let's go ahead and read it here. It says, Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth had, that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, If you have taken him away, tell where you have put them, and I will go get them. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I, as I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If in the mail this week you received a letter and it had an official um, law firm's um, letterhead on it, the stamp of approval was there, it was in a very official document, 
And it said you had some distant relative pass away and they had left you millions. Think about getting that letter this week. Letter comes in the mail, you open it up. What was your first reaction be? Mine would be skepticism. Mine would be, ah, another scam. San Francisco's full of scams, right? We're wondering, I'm about to get scammed again. But imagine, this letter is saying there's millions that have been left for you. The, the, the offer is so great, come on, you'd have to pick up the phone call. You'd have to pick up the phone and call, right, just to see if it were even true. Would you throw it in the garbage? Maybe you would, but the offer is so great, it would almost demand that you look into it a little bit further to see if it was indeed true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is very similar to that little story that I just told. It's such an incredible offer. The resurrection promises riches like you can't even imagine. The offer is so rich that it deserves looking into. And so that's why today we're going to look into this together. And I'm calling this message that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at least these three things that we're going to talk about today. I don't have enough time to tell you all that the resurrection is, but it's at least these three things that we're going to be looking at. And by the way, if, uh, if you're a veteran and you've like, been so used to uh, celebrating this, this uh, Easter story, or, or, if, or if you're a newcomer to, to Christianity and you're, you're kind of wondering what this is all about, let me recommend this, uh, this book here, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And, and at first glance, you might think, well, isn't it a, isn't it a kid's uh, little art book about Jesus? Well, sort of. It, it, it's incredibly uh, precise. It's inc- incredibly uh, poignant. And it really highlights Jesus as being the hero of the entire biblical story, the entire narrative. So it's very well done. And so uh, if you don't have a copy of this and you'd like a copy, uh, our church has a copy. We'd love to send you out with a copy. Um, but as we look into this story today, uh, the resurrection is at least three things. And it's printed there for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is rational. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is merciful. And the resurrection of Christ is personal. Okay? So we'll get at the first one here. The resurrection of Jesus is, is rational. What this means is if you look at Mary and she's going to the tomb, she's not going there with blind faith. No one told her as she's going there, oh, you know what, um, you don't even need to go. Just take our word for it. No. There's a rational element of believing in Jesus that you and I are supposed to turn on our thinking caps. You and I are supposed to have questions. It's normal. It's right for you to have questions about who this Jesus is. Is he really God? Did he really rise from the dead? Mary, um, we see Peter, we see John. They're, it says they're looking in. They saw. And in the original text, the Greek word um, is theoreo. It's where we get the word theorize. That word saw there means uh, to theorize, to think about. It's almost like a scientific word of looking for evidence. And I'm just here today as a representative for God to to say that the resurrection is to be believed in because it's true. It actually happened. It's not a fable. This isn't a story of good luck. It's, It's not even a story that someone made up thinking that a bunch of people would believe in it one day. 
that the resurrection has a rational element to it, that you and I can actually look for evidence and find it. These are real historical figures that are being talked about in the gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This past week, as we were thinking about Jesus uh, heading on his way to the cross, the suffering that he would go through, Pilate, the person who would eventually be one of the people that has him tried, and uh, that's a real figure in human history. These are real people. Real names are being used in, in the Bible. And I just want to encourage you that your questions are valid. Your questions are, are right. You should have questions. Uh, Mary, Peter, John, all of them, they're, they're needing to look into that tomb. They're not just going off of blind faith. Uh, they needed evidence to believe in the resurrection. Many people think that being a Christian does not include rational thinking. I don't know if you've heard that before, but some people would assume that Christians, oh, they just spiritually believe. They just have blind faith. They're anti-intellectual. They're not necessarily smart people. They're believing this fable. And Jesus uh, is showing us here that to believe means that you would be thinking so the resurrection has a rational element to it. And I would even put this warning out there for you that if you don't have a Christian faith that involves thinking and reasoning, you might just walk away from that faith in some of the low parts of life that you've even experienced or, you want, or that you will experience later on in life. I've talked with countless people. I've been a been in ministry for about 20 years now, and there have been countless people that I have met with and have counseled with that have walked away from their faith in low moments of their lives because they just took it on blind faith. And they weren't ever encouraged to rationally think and look for evidence for the resurrection for themselves. They just did it because their parents did it. They did it because their culture told them to do it. The resurrection uh, for Mary and for Peter here is they're not exercising blind faith. And, and so you and I, we, we're probably asking right now, okay, well then what evidence do we have for the resurrection? I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, there, there are two. There are two pieces of evidence that are listed right here in the text. And again, I don't have so much time to fill you with all the evidences. My encouragement here is for you to go look for evidences, is for you to go rationally think through the resurrection and ask the questions yourself. The very first one is a person called Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is um, exhibit A right here for one of the evidences of uh, the resurrection. There's a Greek philosopher in the second century. His name is Celsus. He was a, a person fighting against Christianity. And he wrote, he wrote a book, I'm going to quote from his book here in just a second, basically saying something like, um, and I'll give a warning here, for you San Franciscans, this is going to sound really uh, super old school and misogynistic, okay? This writer was saying that since a woman saw the resurrection, and since a woman, Mary Magdalene, was the first person to see the resurrection, it totally disproves Christianity, okay? Do, are you understanding the argument? Because back in that day, back in the second century, 
you, you would not want to use a woman as one of your major characters in the story, according to those people. So Celsus writes, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? That's awful. That's awful to, 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 to know that that's what people thought about women. Um, and yet historians across the spectrum agree that the most historically plausible reason for a woman to be used in this story as, as seeing the resurrection is because it actually happened. If you started reading through the Bible, maybe you're asking the question, why does God market Christianity in this way? Why is he using women? Uh, why does he use weakness? Why does he use flawed, sinful people? And that's one of the evidences of the resurrection, that it's actually indeed uh, true. That's why it's true. God became a human being through the person of Jesus to live a perfect life because flawed human beings couldn't. And he also went to die on a cross for people who could not save themselves so that Jesus would be a sacrifice for them, a perfect sacrifice for them. And then dying a a very punishing, cruel death, he then rises from the dead to prove victory over that sin and victory over death, something we couldn't do for ourselves. Uh, The second evidence that we see here is Peter, Peter and John. Why did they need to think and reason in order to believe in the resurrection? Well, first of all, because in that day there were... were, um, Messianic pretenders. They were people pretending to be the Messiah. Did you know this? The people in Jesus' day pretending to be the Messiah. And you know what happened to them? Every single one of them that pretended, they got killed. And it affirmed when those Messianic pretenders got killed that people said, ah, I'm so glad we didn't follow that person. (laughs) He was claiming to be the Messiah. So glad we didn't follow. So exhibit B... Here is Peter and John needing assurance, needing rational evidence that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So when he rises, it proves not only for them, but it proves for you that yes, indeed, he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. This was not only a new, this wasn't a new philosophy, a new worldview, but this is something that rocked them. It rocked, it changed their reality. This wasn't a false prophet. This wasn't a false uh, fake poser. This indeed was the person who had promised to rise from the dead. So when he did, it proves it. It shows exactly that this was indeed the Messiah. Everything that he said about himself, what we just quoted together, that I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live. All of that's true. All of that is very true. There's a Japanese writer, uh, Shisako Endo is, is his name. He's a Catholic writer, and, and he writes, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you'll be forced to believe that something amazing, something hit those disciples. If we try to explain the changed lives of early Christians, you'll find yourself taking leaps of faith as great as if you had believed in the resurrection in the beginning anyway. Do you understand that? 
you understand what Shisako Indo is saying there? That it basically takes more faith to not believe in Jesus. Everyone is expressing faith. Everyone's believing in something, in some reality. What am I trying to say here? In saying that the resurrection is rational. I'm saying there's evidence. I'm saying that it's true. I'm saying it's not just your emotions or my emotions that that lead us to say, yay, this is great. It's true. Therefore, it's great. Therefore, it changes my life and your life. There's evidence. Go find it. Go think. Go reason. Bring your questions. Meet with someone in this church, in this community. Not because we think we have the answers, but we're that type of community where questions are welcomed. We're learning together. We're in process together. Our faith is growing together. I would even say pray that God would reveal the evidence to you. If you're in a space right now in your own spiritual walk where you're wondering, can this whole thing even be true? Ask God to show you evidence. Ask God to speak to you in a way that you need it. And if you do, you'll also see mercy. You'll also see mercy. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is merciful. Look in verse 11. See Mary crying. She's weeping. I mean, you, you get what's going on here, right? She, she, she's weeping. The, the person who said that they were coming to save her and the world from their sins has just died. She now goes to the tomb to see, like, where is he? What happened to him? And she's talking to Jesus as though he's the gardener. But she's weeping. And we, just like Mary, see, you, you and I are just like Mary. We have tears. We have pain. And right in the midst of our pain, your suffering, my doubt, your doubt, we begin to wonder, how's this all going to work out? How's this all going to work out? I love this other writer. His name is Garrison Keeler. And he says, if life doesn't break your heart at least once a day, you're showing a serious lack of imagination. (laughs) Point is, we all deal with pain. We all weep. We all cry. But Mary is showing us that because of the resurrection, she can access real hope. She has real pain and she has real hope. Being a Christian is both of those. Being a Christian is not that all pain is gone. Nor does it mean that all you have in your life is pain. It's pain and hope. Because of the resurrection. Don't you think that Mary's going to cry differently now than she's ever cried before? Once she knows that Jesus is alive? That's so powerful that your tears now as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you will never cry the same way again. You'll never cry the same way again. There's always hope in whatever you're crying through and going through. Always. Prior to the resurrection, it may feel like pointless tears. Hopeless tears. And if you've ever been in that place, it sucks. It's hard. It's dark. Yet because of the resurrection, there's meaning to your tears. We even see Jesus in the Jesus Storybook Bible, as well as in the Bible, that that Jesus weeps. Jesus is a representative of God. And we see Jesus weeping, crying. 
identifying with our humanity. That's so beautiful to me. But notice how Jesus comes after Mary. Peter and John, they're competing about who can run faster to the tomb and, you know, hmm, who can run faster? Mary's filled with passionate love for Christ, yet she's kind of a little clueless. She's there. She loves Jesus. She's a little clueless, though, like us. Um, She's looking for a human-only Jesus. She's looking for a dead Jesus, essentially. And notice how merciful and gentle Jesus is that he asks her questions. You ever thought about that? Jesus is asking her questions. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? What do all great counselors do? Did you just come in and try to fix your problem? You ever met with a counselor like that? That you said, oh, I know exactly what's messing you up. (laughs) Let me give you three little steps, and I'm sure that I can fix you. In fact, here's a book that outlines those three things. Go do those three things, and I'll fix you right up. That's not a good counselor, by the way. Great counselors know how to ask you great questions so that you discover it, so that you own it and find it out. And Jesus is doing that for Mary. He's asking her questions. Jesus is the great counselor. Jesus is this great counselor. See the mercy of Jesus. You you, you understand, right, that Mary would not have believed in Jesus had Jesus not revealed himself to her. This is all by grace. This is all by mercy. And right now, if you believe in the resurrected Christ, it's because of his mercy to you. It's because of grace that he allowed you to see that and believe that. And you might be at this point thinking, wait a minute, a second ago you said it was rational. You said I needed to think. You said I needed to find evidence. Yes, go do that. But as you start believing, you'll begin to say, Thank you, God, for helping me believe. It was you all along that was helping me see the evidence. And it was you all along helping me believe. Here's the summary of the entire message of the Bible. Look at who this Mary is. Mary Magdalene. Do you know who this character is? Magdala was this little fishing town. It was also known as a town of prostitution. Different historians say that Mary Magdalene had a past. That's where she was coming from. But the summary of the Bible is how God interacts with people just like Mary. You also know Mary's story in Luke chapter 8. There's seven demons that are cast out of this Mary of Magdalene. Right? Mark chapter 5, it talks about this demoniac where someone is running around half naked and talking to themselves and other people. And Mary Magdalene is just like that person. Demons are cast out of her. And Jesus chooses that type of a person. Do you hear mercy in that? Do you hear grace in that? It's not about your pedigree. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about where you grew up. It's all about God's mercy and grace. In the way that he chooses the Marys of the world. I mean, think about this with me. At this point in human history, Mary is the only person that knows about the resurrection. She's the only person. She's the one individual in the entire world that's holding the good news. That's amazing. 
That's phenomenal. And I hope you see this with me, but the first messenger is a woman, not a man. It's a woman, not a man. That's powerful. Not because we're in San Francisco and maybe I'm supposed to say that. But in that culture, you don't put the woman as the lead character. It would make the whole story discreditable. It's a woman. This is the way Jesus does it. It's a woman. Uh, The first messenger is a reformed mental patient. That's God's mercy. That's who Jesus chooses. It's the outcast. He makes it powerfully clear that God's salvation is not based on your talent. God isn't looking for people to save because they're, they're good and therefore they're going to be in and the bad are out. It's about grace. It's about mercy. It's about those who see that they need a Savior. That's whom Jesus came to save. That's whom Jesus died for and rose for. The gospel is it's not about your past, but it's about Christ's past, His life, His death, His resurrection on your behalf. Resurrection faith is that He comes to you. You don't save yourself. This is not a self-help program. And lastly, the resurrection of Jesus is personal. It's amazing what Jesus does. He's back. He's returned, right? You, You get that as we read this, right? Like he physically is there. He's not a ghost. They're not like looking through him and so forth. He's physically risen from the dead. He's right there in front of them. Now, this is not the way Superman would return. Right? Any superhero, Superman, right? You get it. Superman will return by saving the jet, the, the jet liner in the stadium, I think, and it's being broadcast to millions on every TV channel. Don't you want your hero to be that well known? Don't you want him to do it publicly? Jesus doesn't do it that way. Jesus does it very differently. He doesn't even say to Mary, It's me. Mary's thinking he's the gardener. I want you to watch what Jesus does that makes the resurrection so personal. Jesus calls her by name. He doesn't say, it's me. Hey, I'm over here. Why did you think I was the gardener? He calls her by name. Mary. See, he, he gets her involved in the whole process. Notice he doesn't say, hey, Miss Magdalene as if a subtle way to shame her, bring up her past, make her feel bad about it. And so see, that, that's never an appropriate response to God's grace is to feel shame. None of us right now should be feeling guilt or shame about this beautiful cost that Jesus went through to die and rise for us. No one should feel shame and guilt. It should all be thankfulness and happiness. Jesus is wanting you and me to know personally, hey, I'm not some dead founder of some religion that if you follow it centuries in and centuries out and do enough good, you'll have a great future. No, Jesus is not saying that. He's saying, I'm alive. I'm not dead. And I want to come into your life. I want to know you personally. I want to call you by name. I want you to listen to me whenever I call you by name. I want you to come to me. I want you to follow me. 
I don't know if you've noticed this, but I find that our culture that we're living in is more obsessed with personal identity than perhaps we've ever been before in all of history. It's my personal opinion. Um, I like history. I like sociology. Um, I like theology. And so as I read, as I live and have my being and you as well, it seems like culture is telling us that to, to find my identity, for you to find your identity, you, you, you simply look from within. You decide what it is, and then you announce whatever that is, regardless of what anybody else thinks or feels about what you've discovered. It's very self-centered. And what the resurrection is promising you about your identity is that it's someone else. See, we're, we're social creatures. None of us exist all by ourselves. We're social creatures. Therefore, we must have someone outside of ourselves look back at us and look inside of us and say, you are beautiful. You matter. You are unique. That has to come from outside of us. And Jesus is the one, because of the resurrection, that can do that like no one else. Money can't do that for you. Sex can't do that for you. An orgasm can't do that for you. Food can't do that for you. Success, reputation, control, all of it. Jesus alone, through the resurrection, is saying, I give you a new identity. I give you an identity that's stable, that stands the test of time, that's strong, that when the storms of life come, when the insecurity happens, you have an identity that can't be taken away from you. That's the celebration today. That's what this is about. The resurrection is that personal. Jesus says, I love you personally. I love you perfectly. I love you eternally. And there are other religions that would promise an afterlife. In fact, most other religions promise some sort of an afterlife. Christianity is the only, only one that promises that you and I get new bodies after you and I die. We get new bodies. And it also promises that Jesus is coming back to this world and will renew all things. Injustice will be done away with. Racism will be done away with. Black men getting shot that shouldn't be getting shot. Kids getting shot in schools, gone. All of that's gone. Racism, cancer, AIDS, sex trafficking, all of that's cleaned up. All that's done away with when Jesus comes back. No other religion is saying that. No other religion is promising that. Jesus is saying, in conclusion here, back to the letter. Imagine the letter again. We started with that letter. Imagine receiving that letter this week with official letterhead from that law firm that says, you've had a distant relative pass away and there's millions waiting on you. Think about that story. In conclusion, this Bible is that letter. This Bible is that letter. Your distant relative is Jesus himself who has died for you. And there's riches unspeakable, unimaginable that the resurrection gives you. Rational, we said. It's real. It's verifiable. And you're not a fool for trusting in Christ. You're not a fool. There have been so many others that have gone before us in this faith journey around the world 
Many different cultures, many different time periods. Secondly, we said that the resurrection is merciful. We're like Mary. We need mercy. Can you admit that? Can you admit that you need mercy and you need grace? And you need the work of Jesus who died for you and who rose for you. Can you believe that? And lastly, we said that it's personal. It's for you. The resurrection is for you. This isn't a Bible study in some room right now that we're having. These are real moments. The resurrection is not only true and merciful, but it's personal. It's for you. Do you hear Jesus calling your name? Do you hear him calling your name just like he called Mary's name? Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we do pray. We ask that you would help us. Help us know the riches of your resurrection. Jesus, we thank you that you're not dead. Jesus, we thank you that this truth of the resurrection transcends all cultures, all times of history. And we do pray for your mercy that you would help us believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.